Hi, John Deke here once again on our celebratory adventure through 25 years of the Very Young Composers. This is scene 30, and the music we're listening to is by 10-year-old Tate Brookhart, and it's performed by the Stevens Point High School Wind Ensemble, which is an affiliate of our Very Young Composers of Central Wisconsin. The piece is called Trains Equals Awesome. But let's hear Tate's introduction to his own work, It's Awesome, also, followed by the surprise ending. Hello, my name is Tate Bruckhart. I attend Madison Elementary School. My parents are Lynn and Dan. The title of my piece is Trains Equal Awesome. I compose my piece for all of the wind ensemble instruments. When I composed my piece, I was thinking about trains. I literally cannot explain how much I love trains, right, Mom? Listen for the different steam engines and how they become more complicated as time goes on. They also become bigger and more intense. My favorite part of the piece is the 4884. That stands for four front trailing wheels, eight powered wheels, four on each side, eight more power wheels, four on each side, with separate pistons and four trailing wheels. That part of my piece is supposed to replicate the Union Pacific 4884 articulated steam locomotive nickname Big Boy. It is the biggest and second most powerful steam locomotive ever built. Naturally, it's the most intense part of my piece. I would like to thank my teaching artists, John Leja and Robert Rosen, for being awesome and putting up with me. I would also like to thank Robert Rosen for organizing the VYC program. Finally, I'd like to thank the Wind Ensemble for making my piece come alive. But you didn't hear that coming. We'll have another taste of a work by a 10-year-old Wisconsin kid at the end of this brief scene. But first, what's been happening in Wisconsin? Bob Rosen and I go back as far as 1969. As I had said previously, we met at the University of Illinois and later did many wilderness climbs together. The adventures we had, the mountains climbed, the dangers faced, the near starvations, the rivers waded, mud and snow slogged, technical climbing equipment, fights over compass directions and routes. We learned so much about climbing, wilderness travel, and survival, and mainly how much knowledge we lacked. In short, we were lucky to have survived as well as we did, but I digress once again. Over the years, we kept in touch, Bob and I, and even when we were no longer climbing together, he and his wife, Andrea, had landed jobs at the University of Wisconsin, he as percussion professor and she as professor of clarinet. Gradually, Bob began to show interest in the educational work that I had been doing. 
Finally, we got together in 2010 and made plans for his launching of a VYC affiliate in his town of Stevens Point. It wasn't clear to me then exactly how he could go about organizing such a project. I mean, where were his teaching artists? Where was his funding? But Bob proved far more resourceful than I could have been myself. He organized his version of the VYC idea with yet another difference, several actually crucial differences. He was in a rural area of central Wisconsin. He had access to the resources of a university with a thriving music department. Some of the first things he did was to organize a local board of directors, to apply for a nonprofit 501c3, and to copyright his name, The Very Young Composers of Central Wisconsin. Even beyond this, he enlisted the aid of three and later four local music teachers and the conductor of the local high school orchestra and band, all of them extraordinary in their fields. Besides his access to the university's classroom spaces, he and I discussed the possibility of using the university's music education students as teaching artists for the program. Could they be tapped, trained, and given credit for taking part in this venture? Or at the very least, or most, could they gather valuable experience in their future teaching profession by taking part in this creative program? But my main question was this. Could these music education university students really be qualified to energize grade school kids to compose? The concern with TAs who are not composers themselves is, do they know enough about the compositional process to guide but yet not interfere with their charge's creative progress? For instance, we composers know how much patience and research it takes to put forth a vivid picture of inner musical thought, whether it follows a program or is absolute music. The research can take place largely internally, but the patience? I'd had some negative experiences with a few musicians who, upon playing kids' works, got animated and eager to take part in the VYC. And my first question to them had been, have you ever composed a piece before? And I would encourage them to try their hand at it before they attended any training. This is not generally a successful approach for musicians who have been thoroughly trained only as performers. They often feel intimidated as if they are competing with the great masters. Well, I mean, who wouldn't feel overwhelmed and discouraged? However, in this instance, in Wisconsin, since out of 16 or so prospective teaching artists, only two or three had ever composed a piece performed by others, so we had a group that, no surprise, could offer each other support and encouragement. In short, this worked, and stunningly so. Why? Well, it was once again the group, zeitgeist, and teamwork, which provided the flow of energy, the feeling of, we're in this together, besides which, everyone seemed to have a great time. Working with the people in Wisconsin made me feel a renewed affection for my Midwestern roots, or roots. Coupled with a committed love of music and children, I found these young people eager to participate in the adventure of it all, 
As mentioned in Scene 28 in Finland, it was here that we actually pioneered and began to model the A and B, that is, TA trainees scribing for each other, in order to get them familiar with the essential process of getting the children's ideas down in a performable form. I told the TAs that when B scribed for composer A, that A should not use standard notation for expressing musical ideas. I was apprehensive that if, say, the A's had not composed much at all before, that they would feel inhibited and out of their comfort zone without the standard musical staff. But as it turned out, I needn't have worried. The Fine Arts Building at the University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, was well-equipped with practice rooms, and it being winter recess at the university, we had no trouble pairing off the 16 prospective TAs into the practice rooms, each of which had a piano or keyboard handy. In short, the TA training went well. In fact, we all seemed to have such a good time that we bonded, and as usual, I learned as much as I gave out. When the children came and began the program in January, there was one TA per every three students. And talk about bonding. Yes, once again, the program is labor-intensive, but look what resulted. The classes were about three times per week after school for about three weeks, and the kids wrote for the faculty ensemble of about six to eight instruments. It's a testament to Bob that he pulled together such a deep infrastructure for these kids. The classes produced such excited participants and exciting music by the 40 to 50 children, all of whom were 9 or 10 years old, that Bob decided, with my urging, to run a full orchestra program for those kids who wanted to dig further into the work required to produce an orchestral score. Hmm. The faculty composition professor made sure that the kids' scores were properly copied and legible, curating the details but never editing the actual music. The high school orchestra and band director, Cindy Keepert, became so dedicated and continually delighted with the children and their music that she continues to, to this day to conduct the current crop of children's scores. Now, hey, we want to hear from you kids out there. Yes, we've kept your scores on file, documented your comments and those of your parents, and we've actually performed some of these pieces at the New York Philharmonic classes and sent them on to Finland and elsewhere as musical postcards, about which much more later. But we care about you, and we want to know how you're doing and what effect the program has had on you. I'm later going to include an addendum showing some of those scores, the names of the faculty, and a copy of a professional documentation of the real effects of the program by Liz Menard of Bowling Green University, Ohio. Wow, it's a real thesis. And there are more theses that have been done, actually. I've got several lessons that we've learned here in Wisconsin and elsewhere which apply to so many of our affiliates, numbering, well, about 60 altogether, if you can believe it. I'm so excited about what we've learned over these 25 years and been able to give to you, our youngest generation, that I'm going to name some of these crucial ideas in case you ever want to do this kind of work 
as you grow up. Firstly, the importance of a main coordinator or group of individuals, but more often just an individual instigator, who remains consistently dedicated to the idea and to the children and to be inspired far beyond the function of a job, quote-unquote. In short, a leader who inspires not followers, but leadership in each of the administrators, the faculty, and especially in each and every student who composes. Secondly, every program in every location, regardless of how spectacular its successes may be, requires renewal. Renewal, renewal, renewal. Since music is a continual act of creation, the energy required on all levels can tend to stagnate and even die out unless there is some active presence to continually stoke the fires of creative heat. You got that? If so, that leads us into the next idea. Thirdly, the process of succession. Succession, succession, succession. Every artist, every leader, especially including myself, must eventually replace him or herself. And this is a huge issue, not so easy. Just read any Shakespeare play, for heaven's sake. But in our field, the successor has not only to provide that divine spark, but create, or delegate, the continually changing structure of the whole thing. That means schools, the diversity of students, administration, musicians, orchestras, technology, performance venues, and above all, fundraising. Clearly, this is a rather daunting pile of work, but the results are incredible. We've barely begun to discuss these issues, and if I have the time, I'll return to them in a later scene and feature interviews with people who have actually given so much to this program, as well as VYC students themselves. As we saw in Colorado, the landscape was quite different from Wisconsin, or any other place for that matter, and I don't only refer to the mountains. Yes, I'd had a long and loving relationship with the state of Colorado. Remember all those mountain climbs and the spiritual musical revelations back in scene six, which was 1964. Wow, long time ago. And then again, as composer in residence with the Colorado Symphony in the mid-1990s of scene 21. Well, with all the flurry of the intervening decade, the actual program of the VYC with the Colorado Symphony was somewhat paused, although Conrad Keene was keeping varying composer-type activity going on in a number of Denver-area schools, using his playground ensemble musicians as a successful resource. It remained for Laura Bond, who was then on the Colorado Symphony staff, to resurrect it in 2015. Her approach was to make use of symphony players as teaching artists and as musicians. Now, although the symphony had a progressive contractual cause whereby educational activities could be paid for in place of regular symphonic rehearsals and or concerts, which is legally known as service conversion, the commitment to the rigors of the teaching artist they were a challenge, schedule-wise, for most players, and this is understandable, of course. 
However, it actually did work quite well due to a few intrepid orchestra members and a couple of independent educator composers hired part-time. The key figure in all this on the ground proved to be violist Catherine Beeson. Her primary avenue of orchestra involvement was quite innovative and relevant to our main story. In short, a great idea. She managed to gain permission to organize six to eight symphony musicians to be ready with a VYC child's piece and to have it sneaked in by surprise at the very beginning of a regular subscription concert. So, at 8 p.m. with the full orchestra on stage, but with a space downstage cleared for the VYC musicians, for Catherine and the child composer, Catherine would announce the piece, introduce the child, and play the work all in the space of a few minutes. Then the conductor would appear and the concert would proceed as on the printed program. <laughs> to all who attended, these pop-up events proved to be a great success. This lasted several years until a change in the CSO administration called for a halt to it for reasons beyond my understanding and despite numerous appeals. Well, these things happen. However, the template was forged, the experiment fruitful, and only awaits further expression. Another innovative variation on the Very Young Composer model, and a particularly delightful one, was surfaced in Damrascata on the coast of Maine. I was introduced by cellist Mina Smith to biologist Sarah Gladue at Mina's Salt Bay Chamber Music Festival. Sarah had an educational instinct and loved working with kids and science. We talked about musical resources of the area that could inspire children, and since I mentioned our occasional use of compositions using found objects, Sarah immediately suggested taking the kids to the seashore and encouraging them to use natural sounds, bird calls, seashells, or anything else they might choose. We called the program Music and Nature. And the really cool thing was that they were writing for a string quartet and were excited to incorporate their sounds for musicians to play, such as, for example, make a seagull sound, the sound of a wave crashing, a storm coming, play this melody of a sad seagull looking for his friend. <laughs> Not only that, but they were encouraged to join in with their own percussive sounds or their own voices. One kid made a whole xylophone-like instrument of seashells using his own idea of tuning. Yes, it worked. After a couple of summers, I no longer had the time to go up there, but had the honor to have the program taken over by ace teaching artist and composer Will Healy. <sighs> Music and nature, <laughs> the way it ought to be. But even that's not all. During this time, between 2013 and 2016, we went to the Netherlands and to locations in Spain, among other places. I can hardly keep track of it all. And yet each place had its own profound contribution to the growing body of ideas. I'll be as brief as possible describing them, but I think you will see or hear how each location made its own important innovation. So, 
Here I am describing yet two more countries which made the VYC concept work for them. Again, why include these locations in our already extensive location of places? Because I just can't resist. Well, no, seriously, really because they each added their own ideas and substance to the movement and problem solved in ways that I believe will be interesting to you who are reading this and especially helpful to you, young, old, or middle-aged, who might be considering initiating your own such program. About 10 years ago, in 2011, a young man living in the Asturias province of Spain called me on the phone. He was a friend of a friend of mine who had heard about the program and wanted to know more about it. His name, John Falcón. He was a composer, bassoonist, and educator who was working with the Orquesta de la Principalidad de Asturias. I sent him our handbook in Spanish, which had been translated by Danny Bedoni, and he was ready to try to initiate the program. <laughs> as simple as that? <laughs> well, after numerous calls and emails, John managed to gather several teaching artist candidates, and we collaborated on training them, led by his associate, Ana Mateo. The students were local public school kids, age 9 to about 14. John got the Asturias Orchestra to give their support and participation. Anna and John's particular innovation consisted in combining the children's musical creations with their involvement in drama, dance, story, and costumes. The stories, mostly originals by the children themselves, seemed to me to be the start of a creation of a body of folk tales, dreams, and nightmares, both comic and tragic. That the program had landed on fertile ground was unquestionable. One of the pieces we received from the Jóvenes Compositores de Asturias via musical postcard was a score by an 11-year-old named Alejandro called El Timbre, which means the school bell. Totally original, yet unmistakably Spanish in flavor, El Timbre had a wonderfully complex and delightful rhythmic drive. It became one of our favorite works to perform at concerts around New York. How oh, I wish I had had a staff of six or eight to travel around to all these locations and help administrate them, fund them, learn from them, spread them. John continues to do VYC activities there and to keep the faith, as he calls it. Another connection to Spain resulted from the pianist Isabel Dobarro, a pianist. She was introduced to me through Merlein Twelfhoven. Isabel was connected to the UN Program for Children and was interested in encouraging young women composers. Working from Madrid, she organized the performance of several of our VYC Bridge girls, including Madeline, Cassandra, Melody, and others in Madrid and New York. These performances continue, but as I said back in part one of this scene when I was talking about Wisconsin, that a staff initiator person, whether local or New York-based, is so necessary to keep contact and facilitate 
by now you will have abundantly seen how much depends on the <clears throat> infrastructure, you should pardon the expression, necessary to keep things focused and moving. And from the Netherlands. Finally, in this extensive scene, let me tell you about what has happened with us in the Netherlands. The innovations there have been wild beyond my imagination, the infrastructure put together, the international communication established, and some amazing fruits have been realized. One morning in 2014, at the Philharmonic, a tall, thin young man entered Ted Whippard's office requesting information about the Philharmonic's activities. His name was Merlein Twalfhoven, a composer of considerable ability, action, and social-political involvement. After listening to Merlein for a few minutes, Ted called me. John, maybe you should come in here. Merlein had heard about the VYC, and as has happened many times, <laughs> as you've seen, right? Anyway, after a few minutes, then inviting him across the street for lunch, he was convinced that we should collaborate. He was particularly fascinated by the idea of musical postcards. He was involved in the United Nations and had a penchant, or an inclination, for mass musical pop-up events involving hundreds of people. It didn't take much for him to grasp the idea of children composing and sharing their music across international borders. Since he had a staff of his own, he soon established a website called Musical Postcards from Children to Children Around the World. The website still exists. He even had representatives working in the Middle East. This was the start of the Syrian Civil War disaster, remember. So we had original creations from Syrian, Lebanese, and Palestinian kids in the refugee camps, which we, in our New York Bridge classes, helped our own kids to answer and correspond. <sighs> wow, the amazing musical works which resulted. The kids in the refugee camps invariably sent us postcards with them singing, rapping, or playing found percussion objects. The possibilities of this kind of exchange are endless, right? I don't even know exactly how much remains after the crush of COVID, but it's all still there, waiting for children to be connected, reconnected, to share, and to fulfill our dream of a united nations of children communicating their deepest musical thoughts to each other and helping to bring forth a world of understanding and hope. Does the world need this? Desperately. So, as promised, we will close this scene with a brief sample of a work by another 10-year-old, Rowan Brunette, and it's called Beneath the Waves. This is as performed by the Stevens Point High School Orchestra. And first, a word from Rowan herself. My teaching artist for the original composition is John Leisha. I would like to thank him for helping me get my composed piece onto paper. I would also like to thank Robert Rosen and Aaron Marks for helping me adapt my composition for the Spash Orchestra. And finally, I would like to thank the Spash Orchestra for all their hard work for doing such a great job playing my piece.